I bring you greetings today from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, maybe you didn't know you had any brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada, but you do. Las Vegas is a place where God is alive and at work. Our city says what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We believe not anymore. We believe what God is doing in the city of Las Vegas, He's going to take and reach the ends of the earth for His glory. And we're asking God to do that. Our city is one of the fastest growing cities in North America. 6,000 people a month are moving in. We were growing as fast as 10,000 people a month. It's 95% unchurched. It is a mission field right in the center of the United States of America. It's in the western part of the United States. 40% of the unchurched population in America lives in the western United States. And America is now the fourth largest lost nation on the face of the earth. Only China, India, and Indonesia have more lost people than the United States of America. We are a nation in need of the gospel. We're a nation in need of a church planting movement that would touch our cities and ultimately touch the nations for God's glory. So I'm honored to be with you today and want to lead us in a word of prayer and then look at God's Word together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege and the honor of being involved in your activity. Lord, you're alive and at work all over the world. God, we give you the glory for everything you're doing. Lord, as I stand before this audience today of several thousand college students, Lord, I am humbled and, and I'm in awe of what you could do. Lord, if these students would put their yes on the table, Lord, you took 120 believers in the first century and you turned the world upside down with the gospel. Lord, the potential of what sits in this room today, we could literally finish the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to us today? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. There are over 100 references in 16 different books of the New Testament to one subject. Over 100 references, 16 different books of the New Testament, one subject. You know what it is? It's the kingdom of God. Two-thirds of the books of the New Testament, over a hundred different times, the Bible references the subject of the kingdom of God. The most famous of those references is probably the one most of us could quote this morning, if we could quote any of them, is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 33, where the Bible says, but seek what? First, right? But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So not only does the Bible over 100 times in 16 different books of the New Testament address the kingdom of God, but one of them is from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself where Jesus said the kingdom of God is to be the absolute number one priority in my life. He didn't say top ten. He said number one, that I'm to seek first as a follower of Jesus Christ, the passion and pursuit of my life should be the kingdom of God. But if you're where I was seven or eight years ago when I first began to really be exposed to this truth of the kingdom of God, I didn't even know what the kingdom of God was. I couldn't define it, much less say it was the number one pursuit of my life. 
And over the last several years at our church in Las Vegas, God's been working this truth of the kingdom of God in our hearts. And, and God's given us somewhat of a working definition. And I want to give it to you this morning. Here's the way we define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. Now, just by way of introduction, I want to give you three hooks that you can hang that definition on to hopefully help us understand this principle of the kingdom of God. Here's the first one. The kingdom is believers. The kingdom is believers. Listen to this verse out of Revelation chapter 5. It says, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom. The Bible says that everywhere you see someone, that is born again by the Spirit of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, you find an aspect, a manifestation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is believers. Number two, the kingdom is big. I want you to say that out loud with me, those words, the kingdom is big. You ready? One, two, three. The kingdom is big. I hope when you leave this morning, you never forget that truth. The kingdom is big. Big. Did you hear those verses out of Revelation chapter 5? Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know what that's describing? That's describing a scene that is literally going to happen at the end of the age when around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ there are going to be men and women and college students and young people, moms, dads, grandparents from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Listen, the kingdom of God is bigger than any one church. The kingdom of God is bigger than any one denomination. The kingdom of God is bigger than any one city or one country. The kingdom of God is alive and at work all over the world. The kingdom is big. Number three, the kingdom is being built. It's being built. The Bible says in the gospel of Matthew chapter 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. This gospel is currently being proclaimed among the nations, among the peoples of the earth here in America and around the world. This gospel is being preached, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ that you can come to know Him and have a relationship with God and spend eternity in heaven. You can find meaning and purpose and value in life. That gospel is being preached to the ends of the earth, but the Bible says one day the end will come. The end of what? (laughs) The end of the world as we know it. You see, one day the last person is going to bow their knee to the person of Jesus Christ and become a citizen of the kingdom of God through a new birth. And the Bible tells us that then the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Listen, that's not just a fairy tale. That's not just a story that that gets... uh, propagated. That is the absolute truth of God's Word. One day, Jesus Christ will return. He's building a kingdom. Well, if God is at work all over the world, this kingdom is being built. How does that affect your life and mine today? In particular, how does that affect 
the arena of planting and starting new churches. Well, if you brought a Bible in with you this morning, I want you to take it and open it to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is one section of a letter that the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote to a church that he had planted. It's a church that he had planted on his second missionary journey. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Then the verse we all know and love to claim, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's especially applicable to a college student. Amen? Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to share with you three truths out of these verses about God's kingdom. Here's the first one. God's kingdom is alive with activity. God's kingdom is alive with activity. The words that I just read for you, an excerpt of a letter that Paul wrote, I said, to a church that he'd planted in the city of Philippi. It was a a brand new church. Paul had gone there. You can read about it in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Paul meets a woman named Lydia, leads her to faith in Jesus Christ. A new church is born in her home. They lead a slave girl who'd been demon-possessed and a a Philippian jailer. That's the, the nucleus of this brand new church that is born there. Paul plants this church, but notice what he says to them in verse 15. He said, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel... The first preaching. You see, a lot of times we have the perspective that the church is the goal. We, we get into the arena of church planting thinking that planting a church is the finish line. That the goal is to get a church started and we can grow the church and have multiple campuses and many buildings and that that's the real goal. But Paul says no. When this church was born there in Philippi, that was the first preaching. The word first is a Greek word that literally means beginning. Paul says that was only the starting point. You see, when God births a church, a church is simply a gathering place to teach people about His kingdom activity and a launching pad for the expansion of God's activity in your Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When God birthed this church in Philippi, God had the nations on his heart. God had the city of Philippi on his heart. It was never just so they could have a place to come and worship on the weekends. When God called our family to Las Vegas, Nevada, I got to be honest with you, Las Vegas could not have been more off my radar. I was born and raised in Alabama. If you're from Alabama, you don't go to Las Vegas. If you do, you don't tell anybody. It's just one of those things you don't talk about. People where I'm from don't think Las Vegas is hell, but they think you can smell it from there. It's not a popular place in Alabama. But when God called our family to go to Las Vegas and be involved in starting a new church, guess what I understood early on? That that God wasn't just calling us there to be about birthing a church so that we could have a place that people could come and worship on the weekends. No, God had birthed that church with the city of Las Vegas on his heart. 
God has a heart for the cities of the earth. God has a heart for the cities of North America. And God brought our church into existence so that we could, as a missionary, engage our culture and begin to reach out into our city. But beyond our city, God has North America on His heart. God had a passion for us to reach out into North America. We've planted one church in Chicago, Illinois. We're planting one right now in Tucson, Arizona. Why do we do that? Because it's about the kingdom. When God births a church, He has the nations on His heart. It's not just about North America. It's about the ends of the earth, places like Egypt and South Africa and China and Southeast Asia. God is alive and at work all over the world. Listen to me, young people, today. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. I don't know if you heard what I just said. You didn't act like you heard what I just said. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today on a daily basis than at any other time in human history. You didn't get it. Do you recognize what that means for you and me? God has brought you into existence. God birthed you for such a time as this. God is alive and at work all over the world today like he never has been before. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I recently had a meeting with a strategy coordinator from the nation of China. You know what's happening in China right now on a daily basis? On a daily basis in China, 45,000 people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? 45,000 people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We work with an organization in Southern Africa where we train pastors through a leadership network of 14 nations. Last year, our organization alone led 75,000 people to faith in Jesus Christ in Southern Africa. We work in a, a place in Southeast Asia where we're partnering with a national who's involving himself in a closed country that's an Islamic country, and, or not an Islamic country, but a Buddhist country, and he's smuggling himself into this place so that he can preach the gospel. Just a few short years ago, Six years ago, there were no known believers in this particular part of the world. Now there are over 20,000 people that have trusted Jesus Christ and a 1,000 house churches have been planted. We work with an organization in Central America called Training Pastors International that last year trained 3,200 pastors and saw 26,000 people trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What's my point? My point is God is alive and at work in the world and He's brought you and I into existence so that we can be a part of it. God is working in America. God is working in China. God is working in Africa. It's a global movement of God that I believe is going to usher in the end of time. And God has called us to be about planting new churches, not just so we can have a trendy place to get people together to hang out on the weekend, but He's brought us together so that we can get in on what God's doing in reaching the world with the gospel. We have an opportunity to connect and get involved. Well, you say, Pastor, if that's true, how do I get involved in what God's doing all over the world. Well, that, that leads to the second truth I want to give you this morning. Not only is God's kingdom alive with activity, it's full of opportunity. Look back at verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me. Shared with me. The word shared is the Greek word that most of us know as koinonia. It means fellowship. It literally means to partner in or to share in the life of another. The Bible says that this church understood that when God brought them into existence, it was about the big picture of His act, not just growing a church, but impacting a city, the city of Philippi, and reaching the nations from that city as a platform. 
And they saw in Paul the opportunity to get in on what God was doing. And they joined in his life. You say, how do I join in what God's doing? Well, let me give you a few ways that are right out of this text. There's many, but I want to give you three. Number one, you can join in God's activity among the nations by praying consistently. You can fervently pray. You say, here we are again talking about God's activity in the world and somebody's telling us to pray for the church planners and pray for the missionaries. Does, does prayer really make a difference? Do you know what one city in the world has 10 of the 11 largest Christian churches in the world? Seoul, South Korea. 10 of the 11 largest Christian churches in the world are in Seoul, South Korea. When I discovered that, I began to do a little homework into South Korea. I began to ask the Lord some questions about why that would be in South Korea. Of all places, all cities, why Seoul, Korea? As I did some homework into South Korea, let me tell you what else I discovered. Over the last 19 to 20 years, over 30,000 churches have been planted, Dr. Early, in South Korea. Now, to give you some box to put that in, my, our, the church that I pastor is affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is the boast being the largest evangelical denomination in the world because it is. Over 45,000 churches. We're over 150 years old. But did you hear that statistic? In South Korea, they've started over 30,000 churches in the last 20 years. They've held the largest baptismal services since the day of Pentecost. They have some of the world's largest theological colleges and seminaries. They have sent more missionaries than any nation on the face of the earth except the United States of America. And the only reason we outsend them is because we outnumber them in population base by seven times their population. Well, why in the world is all this coming out of South Korea? About 20 years ago, 40 Christians gathered at the Myongsong Presbyterian Church in Seoul, South Korea and said, we're going to meet every morning at 5 a.m. and pray for God to change our nation. Today, 20 years later, at 4, 5, and 6 a.m. in three services, 12 to 15,000 people packed that place every morning to ask God to change their nation and the world. Does prayer really make a difference? Next time you bump into somebody from Seoul, Korea, just ask them. You say, but that's overseas. What about America? When God called my family to Las Vegas, Nevada, we got there in our first week. I got a telephone call from a lady who was from the Philippines. Her name was Letty Peralta. And Letty said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. I'm from Alabama. I'm open to any story you've got to tell me. And I've learned in Las Vegas you better be careful making that statement. But I told Letty, I'm, I'm wide open to your story. So I'm on the phone and Letty says, Pastor, I moved from the Philippines to Hong Kong to make money for my family who's very poor. She said, while living in Hong Kong, I met an American family who works for a major computer corporation. I moved in with them, became the live-in caretaker of their family. She said, I relocated with that family there in, uh, in Hong Kong. From Hong Kong, I moved with them all the way to America, a small town outside of Atlanta called Woodstock, Georgia. Some people know Woodstock. She said, while living in Woodstock, Georgia, I visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. And she said, I heard a pastor that I know has spoken here before named Johnny Hunt. And she said, when Johnny spoke, I, I received Christ. God radically changed my life. She said, but I only got to visit there six or seven times. She said, then my family relocated from Woodstock, Georgia, all the way to Las Vegas, Nevada. And she said, Pastor, I've prayed every day 
that the first Baptist church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, Pastor, would you please tell me what church sent you to Las Vegas, Nevada? With my jaw hanging wide open, I said, Letty, the first Baptist church of Woodstock, Georgia. That was seven years ago. Today we're a church that sees close to 2,000 people a weekend in four services. We've started eight churches out of our church. We're working in seven nations around the world. And people ask me all the time, what, what are you guys doing? Well, let me be real honest with you. One lady from the Philippines asked God to do it. Not trying to be over-spiritual, I'm just being honest. We've simply gotten in on something that God was already doing in our city to touch the world through the prayers of a Filipino lady that God had relocated to that town. Listen, you can touch the world through prayer. Number two, you can personally go. Not only can you faithfully pray, you can personally go. You can get involved in church planning. You've you've heard today about internships where you can connect and go and be a part of planning a new church. You can get in on what God's doing. God is inviting you to join in His activity. I don't know if you've ever studied through Henry Blackaby's wonderful study called Experiencing God, but in that marvelous study, he says you watch for God's activity. And when you see God's activity, it's an invitation for you to get in on it. Listen, I've just described to you a God who is at work all over the world. He's at work in church planning movements on every continent on the face of the earth. And when you and I see God's activity, it's his invitation for us to get in on it and invest our lives in something that matters. You can personally go. The Bible here in in Philippians 4 tells us about a man named Epaphroditus. Paul says, I've received everything from Epaphroditus. Who in the world is Epaphroditus? Let me tell you who he was. Epaphroditus was just a regular dude. He was just a guy that lived in Philippi. I don't know if he was a carpenter or a fisherman. I don't know what he did. But he was just a guy that, that heard the gospel and started worshiping with this group of believers in this church in Philippi. Through that relationship with these believers, God was doing a radical transformation in his life. And one day they said, hey, man, we know it's not just about our church. It's not just about us having all the things that we want. We want to be about planting churches and spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we got this guy, Paul, that planted our church. And we see through him the opportunity to join in God's activity. So we're going to take an offering and we want to send it to him. But we need somebody to go. And Epaphroditus said... I'll go. I mean, I I hadn't been to Bible college or seminary or church planners training, but but I'll go. He put his yes on the table, got involved in God's activity. Have you ever considered that God wants to take you It doesn't matter whether or not you're surrendered to be a pastor or a church planner. Maybe God's calling you to be a doctor or a lawyer or an educator. Man, in our city in Las Vegas right now, we're three or four hundred teachers short of being able to fill positions in the Clark County School District because of the growth. We're building a brand new school every month. Every high school's got $53 million put into it as a campus. Three to 5,000 students on the high school. They're recruiting teachers all over the country. Have you ever thought that maybe God could raise you up as a school teacher and plant you in a city like Las Vegas as a missionary to reach a campus for the glory of God? 
That's Epaphroditus. He put his yes on the table. And God used him as a missionary through the skills and abilities that he'd given him. When we got to Las Vegas, one of the young men that that came to Christ was uh, a guy named Val Tremonte. Val uh, had come to Christ and got connected in our church. And Val was a med student. He was in the top 1% in the nation in medical school, but he wasn't your typical looking med student. Val had white spiked hair that went straight up. He had earrings all the way around both ears. He wore pants. The pants legs were big enough for me to get in one side of them. Val walked into our church and we began to get connected relationally and ultimately Val uh, joined our team for a year and just as a, a year I got to pour into Val's life and mentor him and let him travel around the country with me knowing all the while that God had called him to be a medical doctor and was just hoping we could plan in him the opportunity to use those skills and abilities God had given to touch nations around the world. And, but, but he was a brand new Christian and he was raised in Nevada. He, we sent him to Glorietta, New Mexico to a college conference. He went to this college conference and he was walking up to everybody asking them if they were Christians because he didn't know there were 3,000 Christians in the world, much less in Glorietta, New Mexico. And I brought Val back to the southeastern United States with me. It was a culture shock for Val. And I took him to a large church in Memphis, Tennessee that has over 7,000 seats in it. And we went and we stood in that pulpit. And it's funny, when we walked into church day, we were walking around. It was in midweek. It was closed. There were, the offices were open, but there were no services going on. And Val and I just walked in. And I walked him straight into the auditorium. And, man, in no time, the security was on us because they looked at Val and thought, man, this guy's going to blow the building up. But when they finally figured out who we were and said it was okay, I walked Val up and he stood behind a pulpit. And he looked out at over 7,000 seats like this. And in pure innocence... He looked at me and said, Vance, how can they all stay here? He said, Vance, I grew up 2,000 miles from here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and was a 22-year-old medical student, top 1% in the country, and had never heard about Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you to put your yes on the table. The problem with many of us is we're willing to go, but we're planning to stay. Plan to go. Be willing to stay. There are church plants happening in cities across this country that are begging for believers who live like missionaries in communities and schools and jobs and neighborhoods where you can go and as a, as in your profession, whatever it may be, plant your life and let God use you. You can personally go. The, the third thing this text tells us is you can provide financially. You can generously give. That's really what the thrust of this text is all about. They were giving. You can, you can live like this. The word generosity, one of the, the Greek words for generosity means on your fingertips. It's the idea of living with everything you have right on your fingertips, ready to make a difference in the life of somebody else. This church gave like that. Paul goes on to tell us in this text, when we live this way with kingdom first mentality, it pleases the Lord. Did you hear what he said? He writes to this church, and he, he opens the letter by saying, I want you to know every time I think about you, I thank God for you. And he closes the letter by saying, man, the way you're living your life, it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. 
I don't know about where you are today, but I want to live my life in such a way that I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. William James once said the great use of a life is to spend it for something that outlasts it. I believe we're looking at a generation today that want to invest their life not to be successful but to be significant. There is nothing more significant on the planet than the kingdom of God. It is the only thing that is eternal. It will be forever and forever and forever. And as you put your life on the line, your yes on the table, and expend your life in the kingdom of God, seeking it first, God's activity in the world, it pleases the Lord. The second thing he tells us here is you can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. That's where verse 19 comes in. We all love verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Man, we've all claimed that one, especially when tuition's due, rent's due, all those kinds of things, right? We claim that verse. You know, the problem is it's conditional. Verse 19 is not a blank check from God to get what you want when you want it. Verse 19 is a promise from God for those fulfilling verses 15 through 18. Those fulfilling verses 15 through 18 are those that are seeking the kingdom first. They're investing their lives in things like church planning in the world and God's activity in reaching cities and nations. And God says, when you live there, you cannot outgive me. The last truth about the kingdom that I want to give you is simply this. God's kingdom is exclusive in its glory. Paul closes this passage by saying, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To live your life for the glory and the honor of God. I'll leave you with this verse. Psalm 67 verse 7 says, God blesses us so that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. As I look around this crowd this afternoon God's blessed us you're sitting today where students around the world would love to sit and have the opportunity to be taught and trained the way you're being taught and trained and prepared for the future but listen to me God's not blessed you so you can just sit around and look at your blessings God has not blessed you so that you can compare your blessings to somebody else's God's not blessed you so you can develop your portfolio. God's blessed you so that through you, the ends of the earth, starting in your Jerusalem, for me it's Las Vegas, for you, I don't know where that may be, to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, may you touch our nation. May you touch our cities. May you touch our world for your glory. God, build your kingdom. And may your kingdom come. And with John, we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.